1: Midwife Kath, we've been talking over um, consecutive episodes about what to expect when you when you find out you're pregnant, when you go to the hospital, how your body changes, the birth. Um, and we've talked a little bit about what happens um, post having the baby, but how does your life change really when you get home? I think leaving the hospital f- with your first baby is like
2: you're so excited to go home and then i know myself i thought wow i'm taking this one home i i have to keep keep parenting this this child and it really is there's there's a lot of pressures externally to on on new mothers but also our own pressure to feed the baby to make sure the baby's well is is up to the mums and today i've got two lovely Luscious ladies <laughs> with me, <laughs> two wonderful women, um, Sarah Caval and Virginia Millen, who have got uh, five babies between them. So, we're going to, you know, just talk about what it's like taking babies home, how you feel, the demands on a relationship. We all have a level of Anxiety and depression, and how that affects our parenting and ourselves, and how we, you know, we actually have to get through that. It's a bit of a bit of a journey.
1: Yeah, Kath. Well, welcome, Virginia and Sarah. Um, Sarah, you're a criminal lawyer. Yeah. And Virginia, you're a journalist. Yep. So taking these babies home, can I just off off the front foot ask? Did it change your lives inexplicably?
0: Yeah, it did. It did. Um, I think it was such a big shift, you know, but I had really good advice from one of my friends. She said to me, um, you know, if you get stuck on the couch breastfeeding your new baby for six hours and your husband comes home and you're still in your pyjamas, chained to the couch, breastfeeding the child, um, just remember that this is your job now. And so don't feel that you have to do anything else you just have to be there feeding this baby putting this baby to sleep caring for the baby and that helped me get through those first weeks that were really difficult and massively demanding compared to what my life had been before
1: what about you yeah Sarah?
3: I, I my oldest is almost 9 now but i just remember in that first month thinking i was living this type of groundhog day where every Three hours, I felt like I was getting run over by a Mack truck and wondering, <laughs> chasing your tail, <laughs> wondering, um, when, wondering what, ha, how, how it had come to this, but also that mixed with incredible joy um, and incredible fatigue. Yeah. But yeah. Not like nothing I had ever imagined. And I, so many
2: mums say to me, no one ever, ever told me it was this hard. And, you know, I've said this a few times through the podcast women certainly do tell you it's hard you, without a doubt, and I know when I educate, I'll say it's it's really hard work. It's the hardest work you'll ever do. But you can't understand how hard it is, can you? No, definitely not. I think um, just how consuming
0: caring for a helpless baby is. I think that's what it is. They're just, they're so demanding. They need you to do everything for them. And um, Put on top of that, you know, you've you've gone through the later stages of pregnancy. I felt really run down towards the end of my pregnancy. I had a cesarean, so you're recovering from the cesarean, um, and you're completely exhausted. You're not sleeping, and you're producing food
2: for this child, <laughs> mm. and you bug it. And you, the responsibility. I found that that I'm responsible for this child's life, and. Also the crying. I found the crying really hard even though I was experienced and I knew what it's like and I knew babies cried so it was it was okay but it was still hard. Can you imagine what it's like for for people who haven't had a criminal lawyer.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because you feel like you should be able to meet this baby's needs and, and it is your only job. And, and there's something about the kind of uh, b- being unable to read a cry or being un- unable to meet that need. Um, it kind of attacks, attacks your whole perception of, of yourself. Mm. And, it, and confidence, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. totally, totally. And down the track, fast-forwarding
2: down mm. the track, that lack of confidence you get in the early days... I think affects you going back to work again. You've sort of, you you feel like you've taken a little bit of a, a step backwards, don't you? And you, and you think, oh, I'm not as confident as I was before. But once you get back into the workforce, once you start working, you feel great again. But as women, we have to stop work. We have to stop and we have to stay home, which is what we do, but it's it's a tough gig. I think with I'm not back at
0: work yet and I feel like um, as someone who's on maternity leave I'm out a lot and I, I, you know it's great I can take my baby out I take my baby out to sleep while I have a coffee um, and I get to walk around, I'm outside a lot but I feel like you're just always on the outside looking in when you've got a little baby. You actually can't go into a lot of places with a stroller. It's not as easy. Um, and you're very conscious of your child suddenly, you know, throwing a massive tantrum in the middle of a cafe or in the middle of a store. Um, so there is isn't And a- people staring.
2: And people staring, It's an staring. interesting yes. stare, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. just a st- standstill stare. Yeah. They just stop and stare. Like they've never, ever... Ever heard a baby cry. I go up to mothers and I'm going, You do a lovely job. Keep smiling, take the kid home. But you're doing a marvellous job. <laughs> That's what you need yeah. to do in those situations. And I think as mums and women we should do that. We Definitely. should go up and say, Oh God, how are you doing? You know? And and what mothers tend to do is get angry with the child, especially toddlers, because um, when you have a toddler who's like a two-year-old who can talk really well, they expect them to be able to cope like a 15 year old, and they can't. They really can't do it.
3: And, and it's putting them in unrealistic situations. Mm. But, I mean, I think that's, I mean, you have, I think when I was really pregnant, I had this beautiful image that I would just be catching up with friends, going for walks, and it's going to be. All... Kath talks about this. <laughs> yeah. It was going to be so much fun. <laughs> and then I realized once I had my, my first that I was actually the type of person that really preferred to be at home with the baby yes. and, and much, much more um, introverted than my, my personality had been previously. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, it was a very different experience than what I pictured. And, and going back to when we come home with a new baby,
2: the visitors that, that, that pour in, those early days, we all remember them. And you know, people out there who 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 haven't had a baby or just about to have a baby or have a new baby, you've got to use your words and say, "Look, I'm sorry." You've got to make something up and say, "Look, I'm sorry." You know, the, the Queen of England's coming in about five minutes. Look, have a quick visit. Can you? You know, like here's the baby. Then
1: go. And then it's really tough, isn't it? Did you ever? Did you ever do that, or did you feel obliged to accept? Guests. When I was in
0: hospital, I I had some um, close family coming, which was really nice. But I went and saw Kath, and she looked at me and said, "You're exhausted. (laughs) Cancel all the visitors that are coming this afternoon. Close the curtains. Get into bed. Give your baby a bottle of formula so that you can get some sleep, and your baby is full." And, and rest, and it was amazing advice. And mm. I did. It was harder once we got home. Um, mm. And the early days when there were a lot of people coming, I was breastfeeding with nipple shields again. Cat's advice because um, I had some nipple damage, so I was like fumbling nipple oh, shields. It's so were relaxing like, in front nipples. of your boss, isn't it? In you
1: know, getting nipple shields. Male relative. Oh, relatives. Um, um, what a nipple shield! <laughs> you know, Madonna. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
2: sort of like a very small plastic version of that And you pop pop them over your nipple um, A, to add length to the nipple Because some women have flat or inverted nipples So a baby can't get onto a nipple and suck So they're often the difference between Breastfeeding and not breastfeeding They're fantastic Also, some women have very sore nipples and, um, you know, with the baby sucking and sucking and they might be bleeding or, you know, very, very sore. Putting a nipple shield on not only decreases the pain, like in Virginia's case, but once the milk pools in in the nipple shield, that beautiful breast milk just heals those nipples so quickly. And they they recover, and then you end up getting on the, the baby can get onto the breast, and so you know, long term breastfeeding is the aim, and um, they work really well. I've never even seen them stocked on a shelf. I'll bring Kat. some in for yeah, you. Yeah, no, that'd be good. Good. I, if I you're sh- wearing them next week, I'll be very <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
3: I was going to say I became a champion visitor vetter. Yes, because with my first baby, of course, I I said yes to every visitor, and and um, I wasn't in. It wasn't always so great um, because I'm the perpetual host, and I didn't want to be rude or impolite to anyone, and and, um, and hurt anyone's feelings. Hurt anyone's yeah. feelings and it, it resulted in no sleep yeah. for me and Tears. a baby that had been cuddled and poked and, and yep. passed around. It was it wasn't a win win, and but then I had twins. Yes, and. And then everyone wanted to see the twins because there's two of them. Um, Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. So by the time I had my fourth, I was an expert. I just knew that I yep. didn't want visitors, and we worked it out, hadn't yeah, we, Sarah? It took me. It took me till then, <laughs> but I, I, I still think of that that week, that five days in hospital, as the last fantastic holiday <laughs> I had with, <laughs> with me and Netflix and oh, fantastic meals, and, and I just hid in my room and had a great, uh, great festival. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be
2: great. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting who comes to visit you. I, I often think it's interesting because you can have people who you haven't seen for a long, 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 long time, friends of friends, friends of your family. They come in and they sit and it's like, right, what do I talk to you about? So, um, you know, you can always blame the staff and just say, look, visiting hours finish really soon. So, you know, you need to um, go or, you know, get your partner to do it. The other thing is the baby's not there to be passed around like pass your parcel it's just as you said you're left with a baby that's crying and you know needing feeding or changing or whatever and you're left with the baby and the visitors go off these days also it's infection we worry about um so people do some pretty strange things with babies like put fingers in their mouth to get them to suck which is revolting and um or kiss them you know it's, one guy said, "Oh, my baby was so funny. He sucked my nose." It's like, no, you don't get a baby to suck your nose. Like it's full of germs, and you've, you've got to be careful of things like that. So, so visitors, if they do come in, wash your hands. You know, make sure. But even they don't have, they don't have to have um, hold the baby.
1: So, what do you do, Cathy? You just say, "Listen, come for fifteen minutes," and and then that would be great to see you. But I just need to see you for fifteen minutes. Don't Look, mean some to be rude. people
2: actually say, don't come in, you know, especially once you've had your second, third, fourth baby that they say, look, you know, people lose interest too sometimes. (laughs) A lot of people think that they're doing you a favour, don't they? They think, oh, you know, it's exciting, we should turn up, but... It's quite
1: okay if you don't have visitors. I don't, but, but then isn't look? Who cares what people think? I don't but want
2: to be a Debbie Downer. It, you are yeah, being yeah. a bit of a
1: Debbie Downer, I a know, bit, yeah. But like, but isn't there the suggestion of like, oh, Sarah and Virginia, like they don't want any visitors? They're being very reclusive. Obviously, not coping with this one. Yeah,
3: probably. Um, no, uh, no, not shouldn't be insecure well, about I that. I don't mind about that. I think I think it's actually really important. And actually, I think partners have a really big role to play here yeah. too, because um, you know there are some fantastic visitors who come and, with food and. And help oh. you unload your dishwasher, yep. or you, you know, and support you. But you really need to be. Uh, I mean, if you're ever going to be extremely selfish, that's the time to be really self yeah. self focused yeah. and work out what's going to get you through the day. And and you know, pe- I mean, there there is time down the track, and and a six week old baby's just as cute as a one week old baby. Yeah, like it's
2: absolutely, and we've got lots of photos.
3: And
0: get get your partner to field. The texts and phone calls, and organise who's coming when, and wind them up when he can tell you're completely exhausted. Because I don't think you have that capacity,
2: do you? To multi skill, no, multitask, you know, when you're tired. No. Um, both of you had mastitis. Mm. Um, it's it's something in the postnatal period. Often in early in the postnatal period, sometimes you can go right through your pregnancy, right through the postnatal period, and have
3: mastitis. So, um, Sarah, do you want to talk about your my mastitis? History. Your mastitis history? <laughs> um, yeah, baby number one, I <laughs> breastfed for fourteen months and had. Th- about six courses of antibiotics during that time. Mm. I, I was, I became really good at mastitis. It was one of my skills. What's the pain um, like? Can I just, in- what are we talking? It feels like here? getting a really quick flu, mm. like a, and high temperature, headache, headache, oh, headache. Often
2: the, uh, the the first symptom, and it's yeah. one of those really bad headaches. And a lot of people just think, oh, they're getting a headache, and they might have a bit of a scratchy throat
3: and and then really you find inevitably a red mark on your boob and and mm. and then you realize that that's the source of the the infection and and but you know by the later stages of breastfeeding I'd, I was really good at identifying it and starting antibiotics really Before, quickly yeah. and so the symptoms wouldn't be as bad but you have to keep breastfeeding through the mastitis yes. which is not pleasant <laughs> um, but and then but necessary but necessary mm. and then after that fantastic history, I did I, I did enjoy ultimately the, the breastfeeding experience. So with number t- with the twins, I did I did <laughs> breastfeed for six weeks until I ended up with spectacular mastitis. Spectacular, um, glowing, glowing that's mastitis. Cool. glowing. That ended up that ended <laughs> from up from the moon. You yeah. could see them you could see Sarah's <laughs> yeah. breast from yeah. the moon. Straight straight <laughs> oh. to emergency and and sick. ten days on a drip. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's how sick
2: you can get with mastitis. So yeah. it's important to check your breasts, not only just looking down at them, get a mirror and have a look underneath. Um, don't keep touching the area that has mastitis. Don't You really don't need to massage. And I know a lot of people are into massaging. I'm not into massaging breasts at all with mastitis. Did either of you do that? Adam no, I, I'd read a
0: lot about... Doing that, people tell you use an electric toothbrush in the shower to, to oh dislodge my... the lump and G- all sorts of oh, things.
1: That sounds horrific.
0: Yeah, um,
2: clean teeth though.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> clean your teeth at the same time, um, as well as trying to massage it out. But Kath had told me don't don't mm. fiddle with
2: it. So yep. and it's pretty sore, so it's not really what you want to do. No, like, and and women will say it actually hurts when I'm when I'm um, massaging. I can remember one woman coming to see me and I had to sort of, you know, pretend I wasn't looking at what I was looking at because I said, oh, my goodness, what what happened? And a midwife had had her fist, like pressing into oh. her breasts. And I said, you've got to say, stop. She said, in the end, I just like grabbed her hand and said, enough. Now that woman ended up with an abscess because mm. of all this sort of kneading into your breast. You've got to think of your breasts as sensitive tissue. So if you have a broken ankle and you get all swollen, you wouldn't massage that with a fist and to try and get the, the, the edema down. You've got to let the breast go through the cycle and settle down. So you definitely have to have antibiotics straight away. And if you're allergic to penicillin, you have to have another antibiotic. But for um, mastitis, it's um, flu that you have to have because everything else just doesn't work with that germ. You need some anti-inflammatories and you need some Panadol or Panadine or Panadine Fort sometimes for that that headache that is just
1: a shocker and can hang around. Kath, can I just ask, how do you get mastitis? Is it just through the breastfeeding? Is it just through the the lactating?
2: You usually get it through um, damage in the nipple Mm. and then you have an ascending infection into into the breast tissue. And so then the, the germ the staph germ, lays, yeah, yeah, manifests. And then it just, you know, you just feel, as Sarah said, you just all of a sudden feel, and look, I never had mastitis, so I must say I'm going it on on everyone that I've looked after. All of a sudden they just can minute by minute feel you're going downhill with the flu, like getting mm-hmm. worse, don't you? Yeah. And to the point where the extreme is like, sorry, they, they, you can end up in hospital on an IV...
3: Therapy? What? What? I mean I had a oh, f- I had like a 40 plus temperature for 10 days. Yeah. It was it was um it was surreal. It was it was a It cra- was sick. Yeah. 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 And and made me really aware of how fragile um Breastfeeding and 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 mastitis. like because you hear about it, and you hear you just take antibiotics, move on, and 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 I think realizing how um, women born centuries before oh. me wouldn't have survived that. Well, they um, didn't.
2: They died from mastitis yeah. because no antibiotics um, to you know to help them, and they they died. So it's it's something that you you can't have anything medicinal for for mastitis. You need to have. Penicillin for it. Get the Um, the gear. Get the good gear. You need the good gear. Mm. And, you know, you need to... And deal with it quickly. And quick, as quick as anything. You don't sort of wait for it to see how it goes. Get onto Mm. it straight away. So you've got to go to your doctor? Yep. Yep. Yeah, you do. And Virginia was the same. Well, I was. I had um,
0: a flight. We were flying to Queensland when my daughter Eleanor was almost six months I think it was a six AM flight, and just that the night before, I suddenly I could just tell you just I had feel it, different. Yeah. and I could feel this lump in my breast, and I had the red dot, and um, I said to my husband, nah, "Maybe I should sleep on it," and he said, "Knowing Kath's advice, do not. We have to call a doctor now." And I did get onto the antibiotics straight away, but even I'd only had one, and um, through the
2: night I could feel myself. Yeah you know, overheating and... So when you start please. the antibiotics, it actually takes 24 hours of um, antibiotic therapy for you to start to feel better. It doesn't, like, cure it straight away. You must finish the whole course of antibiotics. If you are not getting better after twenty eight 24, 48 hours, you need to present to an emergency department because you may need to have intravenous therapy um, and antibiotics because you can get that sick. You also have to keep feeding the baby. So you need you need the village to move in. So you need mums or mothers-in-law, anyone around to cook, keep look after other kids, hand you the baby. What you do is go to
1: bed, sleep, have your drugs, feed the baby, go to bed, repeat. So we've talked in other episodes, Kath, specifically about, um, you know, the, the the debate, the breastfeeding or bottle feeding, and we've gone into depth in, yep. in those episodes, but can I ask how it affected both of you? Like, did you struggle with the breastfeeding? Did you have a problem giving a bottle? Did you? How did you approach it?
0: I'd, I didn't struggle with breastfeeding, but when um, we were in hospital, we went and saw Kath, so Eleanor, my daughter, was only a few days old, um you know, she wasn't having very heavy nappies. Her nappies weren't very wet. And Kat said, look, she needs more fluid. And she was feeding constantly. And I was very tired. Um, so Kat said, just, just give her a bottle of formula. And it was something that intellectually I was okay with. But emotionally, it, it was a bit of a battle to come yeah, around to giving exactly. her some formula. And as um, she got older in those first weeks, um, she would cluster feed. So she just fed from one side to the other back and forth, back and forth. I was just sitting on a couch for hours feeding her and feeling very drained. Um, And Kath would keep checking in with me and would often say, you know, just give her a bottle of formula and and go and have a rest and go to the toilet. Yeah. (laughs) And and for me... I think because um, also because I had a cesarean, um, I really wanted to breastfeed my daughter. Um, I felt that was one way I could sort of give her the my antibodies and microbes that I couldn't give her during birth. Um, So it was very important to me to breastfeed. um, But I do think I needed that backup. Um, Mm. And as into the nights, my husband would do a bottle at ten o'clock following um, Kath's bath, bottle and bed. And that gave me a chance to go to sleep for a couple
2: of, get some solid hours of sleep. Yep. And it was really, really good. And just on to that um, bath, bottle and bed, I get mixed up myself. You know, a lot of women will say, what happens to the feed after the bath? Now, prior to the bath, say from 6pm to nine o'clock or 9.30, you're breastfeeding the baby then the baby has a little um, rest and then you breastfeed again and maybe a little tummy time and back tummy. then breastfeeding again and that keeps going on until 9 o'clock. So, so you're really working your breasts really well and by 10 o'clock you're fine to go to bed or 9 o'clock and your partner documented that if women have a physical and emotional break from their baby, they actually feel better and do better. It's not failure. It's not failure by having your partner involved and and give a bottle. And, and it's wonderful for them to do the bath, um, give the baby a bottle and settle the baby to bed. And then you get up, up overnight and and feed the baby. So you you because your brain doesn't know that the baby has had a bottle of formula, it's not going to go, oh my God, I've missed a feed. So it doesn't work like that. Whereas a lot of women worry that that's how it's, it's going to be seen or the baby's going to miss a feed or, the, or, or your breasts are going to explode or something like that. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> but with breastfeeding, for some women it's so easy, it's just easy and no mastitis, they can feed right through and they have an, enough milk and the baby puts on weight. No, issues. That, no issues. No and issues and that's great. For a lot of... People, it's really hard work, you know. And um, especially if you take into account how you're feeling emotionally, breastfeeding, I know, puts an added layer of tiredness on you. It just does. You're feeding a child and as the baby's growing up and putting on weight, you know your body is feeding that baby. So you found mm. it helpful for just to have that break to recoup? Oh,
0: absolutely, because... It meant that I could get a block of sleep of about four hours, with which a newborn with a newborn is just almost impossible to do. And um, so I think the next time I get up would be about one or two in the morning and I could do those next couple of overnight feeds um, with with interrupted sleep and then get through the day again and I'd really look forward to that time and I'd have a bit of time to read a book which I couldn't um, do mm. with with Eleanor in my arms um, and just have a, a little bit of Virginia time which yeah. was really a
2: big change. I think change it's great. I think it's very important weeks. because that has and that's, that's why I invented that program for mums because you know years ago it was just women just did it and that was it there was no help as in helping with the with the bath and you put the baby to bed and, and it was the job and that's fine but your generation's different and your generation of partners are different they they really want to be involved and they it's it's they're sort of itching to, to do something to be involved in 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 being part of the family?
3: Um, yeah, I, I think when it's good, it's really, really good, and when it's bad, it's horrid. Mm. And I think that I was with my first, as I said, I, I did have mastitis a lot of the time, but I also enjoyed the relationship and mm. the closeness, and I loved that feeling of. Um, you know, also post cesarean, but but really wanting to be needed, and and it's a really sweet, you know, intimate time, um, and and so I did enjoy it, and I remember Kat telling me to, to try formula, to, you know, the the ten o'clock feed, and I remember trying it once, and she actually slept really really well, and I woke up in the middle of the night going, what have I done? I've drugged my baby, I drugged her, <laughs> and I never did it again. Oh no, and then like I mean, I really just had this uh, obsession yeah. in my mind that she, that the only thing. That she should have his breast milk, and yeah. and I don't even know where it came from, but it was. I was really fixated on that, and and um, and you know we got through, and mm. then then I had the twins, and mm. then I had the mastitis, and and breastfeeding wasn't an option after no. that. I, I I totally lost my milk supply, which I was happy about, yeah. and um, yeah. after the mastitis, I and and I knew that I didn't want to spend the rest of um my the year. But thinking you'd had about, mastitis earlier with the twins yeah. you had you had it you know within the
1: first week too yeah,
3: yeah didn't you? i I, yeah. I i got it yeah and, and so i knew that i was going to keep getting it yeah.
1: and and I so was- it wasn't an option so you had to go to the bottles
3: yeah and and, yeah, because when I was in hospital with the twins when I had mastitis, mm. they were put onto bottles and they suddenly started, like, sleeping and there was suddenly a routine. And I was like, I think they've been hungry. Like, I think... <laughs> I, I think... I think... I, and I, I came home with, like, these two babies that were total routine clockwork. And, and I mean, I don't believe that that necessarily works for all bottle-fed babies. It's worked for mine. But but it really, um, in my situation, had, had, had made a, a difference. And it also meant... Obviously, I had three kids under three, and it meant that two, two of them could be fed by people. Three of them could yes. be fed by people, who not me. But it it, <laughs> yeah. it it was a freedom, and yeah. and really, um, was a but it's a survival, yeah, too, isn't it? Yeah, and, and 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 um. I, I think that, yeah, my, I kind of chuckled to myself a lot of the time about that feeling of thinking of formula as a drug when actually it really did save their lives because I didn't have an alternative. Yeah. and and, um, and then with my fourth one, I was on medication, so I decided, to, uh, you know, tearily to, to just bottle feed. And, and again, like, you know, my hormones were working against me in the, that later month of pregnancy, when, and I, I kind of would say to Kath, I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like, going to like, try. I'm like, okay, back room, come in the uh, back room. Oh, my God. <laughs> off my medication. <laughs> I just might try. No. Nope. It might be okay. And 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 actually um you know, I, I I did find the kind of first five days in hospital really hard to not to yeah. not breastfeed, and this beautiful um, midwife who I'd had with my first, who who knew me quite well, came in and said, "Why are you crying? Why are you crying, Zara?" And I said, "You know, because I'm not I'm not breastfeeding." And she said, "Oh, you got the happiest baby on the ward. Your baby's <laughs> the only one not crying. You're crying. You're crying for you, not for your baby." And uh, it just really helped me kind of realise it was my grief that the yeah. baby was actually fine. Yeah. Her needs were being met. Yes. And, oh, that's a good
2: point, point. And, and she is the star. Yeah, she's oh, oh my she, gosh, she 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 she's got everything.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the pressure on mothers, especially new mothers, to breastfeed is immense, and um, I think it it helps to have a voice in your head who's saying, you know, it's okay to use a bit of formula. It's mm. not going to hurt your baby it didn't hurt my baby it was great for her it was great for me it was great for my husband he still does the bath um, 10 months later which is still great for me mm. <laughs> so um, yeah it's a it's it's fantastic to use it and it, there's it's not poisonous
2: no it, it's not it's not it's food made for baby and you know i do get a lot of flack because i i say you can use formula but it's it's I'm a professional and I know it's okay and it's safe. If you have a baby that is born of a diabetic mother and they have a very low blood sugar, the first thing the medical profession do, midwives and doctors, is order the baby some formula. Premi babies, sometimes their first food is, is formula. So it's, you know... We've got this. We've got this crazy sort of conversation going on out there. It's okay for you, but you know you shouldn't do it, and, and
1: you should feel guilty. But you're not allowed. You're you're allowed to 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 give the baby formula. It, if you're listening out there and you actually want to go in and learn a little bit more about the the breastfeeding or the bottle feeding, or you want to hear some more information, go and listen to Kath's episode on bottle feeding with uh, Madeline Morris. That might be something that you'd be interested yeah, in to get yeah. a more. Thing. So it's. Um, it, it is fed is best. You know, we know
2: breast is best. We've got that. And I think that's really fantastic because we have got um, the information that breastfeeding is is the best thing to do. But we don't have to make women feel guilty because they can't or they don't want to or, they, or
3: they're not interested in doing it or their circumstances are that they have to go to work. I mean... You know. and, and also there's this, uh, unfortunately, the mo- the middle ground gets lost. Like I often kind of look back and think if I'd played my cards differently, I probably could have worked out a way of both bottle feeding and breastfeeding mm. um, for, with the twins and not exposing myself to, to the level of mastitis I got mm. and and being able to go on and have a longer term breastfeeding relationship. But I think I think the kind of all or nothing approach that you feel from other Places and other pressures that um, means that you. I mean, what you're saying is a middle ground, mm. and and um, if that were more widely accepted and celebrated, it would actually be a better result from people who think breast is best, because more women would continue breastfeeding for longer.
2: And and that's that's exactly how I approach my practice. Is that um, I always say to people, to women, it's about long term breastfeeding. That's what the aim is long-term breastfeeding. If you want to breastfeed for as long as you want, that's what it is. But I know we have to get it right in that first six weeks. It's really hard work establishing breastfeeding. A lot of women give up because, you know, they're not getting the information in the hospital and they're being told, you know, if you if you give a bottle, your milk will go off. It doesn't happen like that. It's better to have a fed baby who, who then sucks vigorously at the breast than have a starving baby that you end up, you know bottle feeding all the time because that's the situation you found yourself in and then you feel guilty it's it's doing you can do both and it doesn't a bottle a bottle a formula doesn't actually remove take your breast milk away.
1: Kat can we can we talk about um your experience not your experience but um Virginia and Sarah's experience um You've come home, you would sleep deprived, you've got mastitis, you're having this issue about bottle feeding or uh, breastfeeding and postnatal depression, mm. the pressures of it. How common is it, Kath? Look, and it is
2: common. And I I feel that at some level we all have anxiety and we all have, whether it's depression, It's everybody has a time when they're feeling uh, down and, and whether it's the, what we call the blues or you cry, um, whatever it is, it's, it's a self-doubt or you're worrying about what's happened, you, 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 you're trying to work through the birth. Postnatal depression is a clinical situation um, and postnatal depression is real in our community and there's a lot of help these days around um, in the community. And if
3: you're not feeling right, talk up. You know, yeah, it shouldn't feel bad. What's yeah, that? I had I had postnatal depression with the twins, mm. um, and it was. I, I think I consider myself a, a pretty well educated person. I didn't recognise the symptoms because I had my main thing was anxiety and insomnia, mm. and I I didn't I had, my my image of postnatal depression was hating yourself or hating the babies and wanting to die. Like it was very mm. extreme, yes, and being very very low mood, yes. and and I did, and I actually was feeling this incredible love. And and warmth for my for my children and and so I kept I kept thinking no oh, I'm okay I'm okay b- because but but I was you know I was so anxious yeah. and I was unable to sleep and I was you know the twins would be asleep and I'd be Watching. lying awake at yeah. three in the morning um, and consistently waking up every morning at three in the morning yeah. and and just um, unable to uh, overcome off. the anxiety S- you just switch off and yeah. and. and I thought of it. People say depression and anxiety, and it wasn't until I kind of ended up being admitted to hospital yeah. that they explained to me that anxiety—it was my anxiety—was a symptom of my depression. That's right.
1: It's, it's, it comes hand in hand. Can I, if you don't mind, yeah. can I ask? Like, so when did it start? What did you start to notice?
3: Um, I, I listen. I as I said, I breastfed for the first six weeks, which actually meant I was getting about four hours' sleep a night um, be trying to breastfed breastfeed twins and I had a two year old and so that whole time was a blur. Then I went to hospital for for two weeks and came home from that quite sick and and I think on antibiotics for like another three months or something yeah. ridiculous and so I think the combination of sleeplessness having been really sick um, and then feeling a bit, feeling like I didn't know how to, how to look after the kids because they Mm. They had spent 10 days in hospital and I did come home with this beautiful routine, but I also hadn't been looking after them in that 10 days. Mm. Um, And so just starting to worry more and more and and not sleeping and not being able to um, go back to sleep once they'd woken up. Um, And then I noticed myself withdrawing, not wanting to see people, not wanting to speak to people, being very, very focused on my sleep Mm. um, and spending all day from the moment I woke up planning how I was going to get sleep. Um, and not kind of being able to see beyond that. And thankfully I've got... A mother and, yeah. and, a, and an and an auntie mother. who's a psychiatrist yeah. <laughs> who come, come in here who, um, who was able to call it pretty quickly yeah. um, and 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 I got onto medication and then I found out that most people with um, depression takes a few times to find the right medication yes. so I had a horrible reaction to the first lot of medication which instead of waking up at three am made me wake up at eleven pm <laughs> <laughs> wired. Um, so after I think I had six nights of two hours sleep, I was happily admitted to a to mm. a um, hospital where I was um, my medication was changed. I was uh, I was put mm. into great hands of of the head of the mother baby unit who who looked after me and ended up looking after me for you know four or five years after mm. that. Um, mm. And and um, and. Once I got onto the right medication um, and got my sleep under control um, it, 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 it probably took about three months for me to start to feel normal.
2: And how did you find it affected your relationship and also the relationship with your partner and your children
3: um my relationship with my partner—it's inter- We look back at that and we think that he, he also had depression, um, mm. just not treated. I think a lot of men in yeah, that I situation do too, do, yeah. too mm-hmm. um, and they just have to suck it up because. But he was able to throw himself into work, and um, obviously, with me being out of the house, we had to pay for night nurses, mm. um, and and so and, and so he just kind of focused on work, 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 and and <laughs> to pay for the night to pay for the, and nannies and this mm. and that to, to cover to cover all that, and um, and so uh, yeah he. Like I think it probably, I mean, probably took us both a year really to kind of come up. And for did air. you feel as the medication um, uh, yeah. took effect in? Yeah,
2: it actually you you started to feel better and you, yeah, you you, 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 and just, you got in.
3: In it touch made with me other it made me it's such a cliche but it's so true it made me put the oxygen mask on myself first because mm. the nature the medication I was taking had a sleeping element to it so I had to take it at a certain time every night I had to get into bed by 9 p.m every night mm. um and and I had to exercise because it, it, I, I kind of really ended up had to look after you really yeah. looking after me in, in a, a way that I hadn't done with my first yes. and um, and yeah it actually ended up being you know I've still got really good skills from that Time yes. of of, yeah. of knowing that I need enough sleep and and, and
2: and did you talk to um,
3: you know I, I know you talked to some
2: professionals and and but other mothers and and I find when when you talk about you know like some women have had a miscarriage then other women will say look actually I have too or you know they've gone through it postnatal mm. depression is a bit of a secret sometimes that you don't want to share because. There's still that element of shame
1: out there, you know. Oh, do away with that. How, like, oh, I know. I know, right? Like, oh, get rid of that. Get rid of it. Well, yeah. you, did you yeah. find it a relief when you, you went, oh, that, that's what's going on here? Was it um, a relief? Yeah, I, I think... Yeah. It, it was a relief once the medication worked.
3: Um, yeah. Um, it, yeah. It was, I, I was, uh, and I think I was pretty open about it. I, um, I, I mean, it was hard because I wasn't open about it in terms of my professional life, because again, it's got a stigma, um, which now I don't care about. No. But but at the time I was quite consumed by that. And he, and um. I also think in terms of, in terms of friends, um, they either get it or they don't. They, mm. And it was really easy. Or they to, want to, or they don't yeah. want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was really easy to sort out who, who the ones that were happy to keep persevering, mm. um, with me. Um, and, and the ones who, who could see how far I was from being me, <laughs> um, yeah. were, were the ones who, who, who got it. And, yeah. And um, and gave me the space when I needed the space, but we're also there when to I needed support. it. But um, but I think I mean, listen, I, I because I'm open about it, I've had a lot of f- other mothers come to me and, and and speak about ways to deal with it, and but but it really does have a lot of secrecy about it. And there are, there's basic things like people go get treated by their GP with medication. But I mean, I, I had therapy, which was mm. fantastic, ongoing support to manage anxiety. I saw my psychiatrist manage my medication. And then when I decided to go and have a, a fourth child, he kept me on my medication because yeah. all the data shows that it's actually much better to stay Absolutely. on medication.
2: it's really important. You don't have to come off your medication to have a baby. And we have a lot of women who are on medication and pregnant but we know that if you if you're not on your medication and you have a history of anxiety or depression it tends to creep in and creep in and creep in and by 20 weeks pregnant it things start to blow up and then we have to, you know,
3: be reactive. You, you need
2: to see, you need to be reactive and, and go and see someone. It's it's okay to be on medication. A lot of women are on medication and pregnant. But anecdotally,
3: I think a lot of GPs that are f- just from friends take people off Absolutely. medication bef- before they're pregnant or, yep. or as soon as they get pregnant because it's not known, the data isn't known, mm-hmm. and... and Um, I just think it it exposed, you know, oxygen mask onto yourself first. I haven't heard that other than on the (laughs) aeroplane. Yeah. (laughs) When those yellow things. When we're going down. But, you know, my fourth child has been, just a delight like she's oh my god she's and, gorgeous and I, I mean she was calm she's not she's now a toddler she's not calm now but I kept thinking in that first year I think it's all the medication <laughs> like I think <laughs> I think this is what I should have done the whole with all the others I she should, didn't have any well you know, but I know I know and yeah. I know that doesn't make sense because it doesn't no. really translate through the placenta but I was like how did I get such a chilled out Bubba, who's but, happy and but how did you feel parenting her? Comparing, oh, it was a comp- yeah. dream. It yep. was, it was, it was hilarious. Like it was, I was kind of like, I, I used people would meet me, they'd say, "I love my newborn. I just love newborns," and I think you must be on crack. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> I want four children. I don't want four babies. <laughs> yeah. Like, and and then I then I was one of the. I had a, I, my my kids slept through really through at seven weeks. Like not that right. One, not right not <laughs> yeah. when they lie and say that they're sleeping through she actually did it yeah and I was like oh, of course you love a newborn if you're getting sleep yeah,
1: like you love it's, everyone yeah, you're <laughs> have, you have you had any experience with with postnatal depression
0: no I did. I haven't and I didn't but um in those first weeks I was I felt very emotional and I remember there was one day um where my daughter who had a bit of reflux, so she was crying constantly, and we didn't know what to do. The cries were just cutting through me, and my parents were over, which was really helpful. Um, and my husband was taking over because I was, ha- I was just, I was just weeping, just weeping. Mm. Um, I didn't know what to do. I felt like um, I, I wasn't caring for her properly, and so I, I definitely. I mean, I, I didn't have anything long term, but I feel like I decreased green. some, yeah, a little bit of it. And it's those hormonal shifts, I suppose, in the first oh, weeks. Look, I that really, really do. Throw I think you. we
2: all have that at some level. And you know, I often draw a little diagram for women, saying if if you know, there's zero and there's a hundred. Somewhere along the line, we all we all sit, whether it's one. Or whether it's a hundred. That's where we we all feel we have to have some reaction to birth and to new parenting. It's just normal to do that. Now, whether it ends up being depression, a lot of it if you if you carry anxiety and have clinical anxiety and or depression before you come into the pregnancy, it just it just bubbles away.
3: Do you know the other thing? I think that um, I had a real martyr attitude towards sleep, and I think a lot of people do because you think it's my job to mm, be up mm. with the baby. Like I'm not working, and I have friends who actually who have who really cope well with not much sleep, and and don't find that that kind of newborn thing as traumatic as, as I did. And now I'm really clear, like when, when I, when new mothers say, I'm tired, but I'm okay. I'm kind of really empowering them to say, you know, it's actually okay to really value sleep Mm. and, um, and to then use routine and other techniques to try and get your child into sleep. Because I was so conscious that, that my sleep really is important mm. and I don't function without sleep and I think a lot of women don't function without sleep.
1: Well, I'm so glad that you said that. I had a conversation with Kath and she explained it to I need eight hours of sleep. I know that sounds ridiculous but i mm. operate on mm. that. Anything short of that, I'm... Animal. Mm. It's just so hard mm. to operate. So the concept mm. of this four hours a night and it's fine. It's just it's no It's, it's,
0: it's not. It's not Tor- fine. Four no, hours not, a night and then having to get up and care for a helpless being is not fine. And if if you're in that situation, um, you know you need to get help or really rely on your partner to do some of the night um, shifts as well um, because you can't then do a full day with a baby that's crying at you and needs you constantly mm. and yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, the,
2: the other thing I find working with a lot of women is that they actually can't switch off. You know, it's, it's easy for us to say, go and have a sleep when the baby sleeps. And I was the same. To actually turn my head off, what's going on inside. And so back 24 years ago, I used to listen to meditation. And um, I would find that it was enough bored me to snores. Actually, no, it didn't. It was fantastic, and I went. I used to have that really deep power nap, even if it was for fifteen minutes, and I found that just helped me. Now, with the world of podcasts, there is everything out there, and I talk to mums and I go, "Get your get your phone. Find a find a meditation. There's heaps of meditation out there." Or, or listen to a podcast, anything, Talk back radio, anything. Switch off. Switch off. Have someone else that you're listening to because your mind will slow down and you will have a rest. And, and it's not the be-all and end-all, but it's part of training yourself to, to switch off. As parents, we never completely switch off ever. We are there all the time. It doesn't stop. It does never
1: stop. So, um, Kath, then what about we get home and all this is, is transpiring, but we're professional women. I mean, Virginia and Sarah are journalists and, and lawyer. When do we go back to work? When? When is it expected that we get back into it? with the pressures?
2: Yeah. Well, the, there's certainly the pressures... Um, well, I don't know if it's much a... Pre- well, I suppose it is a pressure to go back to work because you have maternity leave and, you know, some women want to go back earlier, some women don't. I find also the pressures... That you have to do everything with the child, like, you know, jimbo, swimming lessons, this lesson, that lesson, that lesson, all these things. All these things used to be done at three and four years of age many years ago. Now they're done at six weeks. They've been doing these classes at six weeks. What do you mean? But the, our acrobatics for, for a six-week-year-old. No. And and swimming and, and, and classes. Music. Music and all these things. it's sad. Like, Is what it? The, it, it well, I think it's too much. I, I fell victim
0: to this because I started <laughs> <True> Googling. <Lovely laughs> I love your honesty. I don't know how old my daughter was. I think maybe she was three She's or now four months. in the next um, <laughs> yeah. Olympics. <She's> very talented. <laughs> um, and... Oh, somebody must have been talking about Jimbaroo, and so I started googling, and I was reading. Oh, it's you know essential to your baby's development, and blah 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 blah. I did sign up for a class, um, not to Jimbaroo, to something else. Um, locked myself in for twelve weeks. It it was it was pretty good. Um, you meet other mums. That's good, good that, for you. It's good socially. Yeah. yeah, and it does get you out of the house because you do get to a point where you're like, I got to get out of the house <laughs> with this baby. Mm. Um, and there was some entertainment for the baby at, at the same time. But uh, once I'd done that, I think I did one term and, and I dropped it because I just felt like... Go for a walk. I just wanted to go
3: for a Put coffee. Put your lippy on and or go, for, go a for a walk. Or catch yeah. up with my friends. That's right. I Yeah, I did... I mean, I think mothers' groups can be really good mm-hmm. for that, and I, yeah. I, I did activities. I think with the first one. I can't even remember, but, but then with the twins, I was like so grounded at home with routines. Yes. That with the fourth, I my activity was taking me to coffee shops and, <laughs> and, and like, and I thought all the money that I would have spent on anything, like that's been her only activities. Is but like watching mummies socialise. She, <laughs> she had three older siblings yeah, that yeah. Uh, were full on. They go at a home own home circus, but, yeah. but um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I I. I think I think yeah that social connection is really important. If if you've got a mother's group that doesn't leave you in tears, um, which I've heard I've heard of ones that can be really competitive. But if you if you find ones that you really connect with, um, it can be
1: fantastic. You, tears leave you. Look, what, they can, what?
3: well, it, whether it's
2: um, whoever's taking the the mother's group, you know, isn't holding the group you know, effectively enough and, and educating because the, the whole aim around new mothers groups is educating and teaching about parenting. That's the role of the maternal and child health, not to leave you to the fireman to come in and say, you know... you burnt the house down and we've got to clean up. That's right. Mm. Put, put your, um, you know, a battery in your alarm. The The six or seven weeks were actually meant to educate mums and dads on parenting. That seems to have gone... And it's lacking in our community, and that's something I do now. i I do you know the basic parenting and and the, what what you need to do how to how to do flawed
1: time with your baby. So, um, but they can be. What you're saying, um, Sarah, is that they can be competitive and yeah, disturbing. Or the women. Yeah,
3: I mean, I I was fortunate with my council mother's group. I still got some lovely yeah. connections from that, so I don't want to slander them. But, but I ha- I mean, there's definitely. I mean, that feeling of like ha- that other baby sleeping through the night. Why isn't my baby? What am I doing wrong? And or, or you hear one. Tidbit of information, and then you hold on to it, and yeah. for the week, and you try and Has try. Has your baby and it rolled? Yeah, and and you yeah, you, you <laughs> kind of or, or or you know the thing you know comments about. I'm finally in my in my pre-pregnancy genes and going home and thinking, oh. I'm not going to see my pre-pregnancy genes for Gosh, years. I don't think and, I had pre-pregnancy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is which was true. Yeah. Um, but but um but yeah that's like I think it's really more about your state. But I think I think if you can find Mothers who have a similar parenting philosophy to you, yeah, um, is really important. And just to go for a walk, yeah. and chat, yeah. yeah. What about you, Virginia?
0: Well, I was also fortunate. Um, I have a lovely group of um, mums, but I've since left my council area, so um, I kind of feel like I have to rebuild a little community around me. Um, but I think you do. You need you need people that you can talk to during the day, because what happens is. Um, most of your friends who don't have children are at work nine to five. Your husband's um, also at work. There's kind of not many people for you to speak to during the day. Mm. And as the day wears on and you move into kind of witching hour and your baby's a little bit feral. Um, <laughs> and and you're singing
2: the wiggles. Yeah, you're singing the
0: wiggles or play school songs or whatever works. Um, you, you do start to feel pretty lonely and mm. you, you do need people that you can talk to in those times. Do you start getting those
1: cravings to go back to work
0: um yeah you do you do you do and you don't but for me I'm still not back at work um the uh, the concept of now working in work with the baby and the routine and the feeding and feels a little overwhelming um and I know it's something I've got to do but that that still feels a bit scary to me, but you would know. Yeah,
3: well, with my, I just remember spending like two days planning the menu for a mother's group I was going to host. <laughs> like thinking, should I do blueberry muffins? Oh no. What about banana bread? <laughs> and suddenly just realizing that. Uh, This was not the best use of my brain and and I need it. Like it was time. It was time. But, you know, what you just said reminded me, we had a brainy mothers group. I've got a friend who started this group of just people who knew each other who happened to have kids and every week we had to present on a topic. <laughs> and something like climate That's change awesome. or alum, aluminium Fabulous. aluminium in deodorants. Oh. Like you, and in that <laughs> I hour, don't know about that. we weren't allowed to talk about motherhood or babies. Yeah. It had to be brainy. Fantastic. And, and we took turns and that lasted for about two or three years. That's wow. incredible. But but I really said that, that was a great That That's was a, a great really technique. great idea. Yeah. And you do want a bit of a break from
0: the mum talk at some point. You do want to start using your brain. I've got a good friend who also has a small child. Um who's also a journalist, so we just happen to be lucky to have this time off together and we can get together and um, not talk. do the the crazy mum talk yeah. constantly. <laughs> but you also need a lot of the mum talk because you don't know what you're doing and
2: well, you want that, some support. The, then that gets to other mums telling other mums, you know, what they've done that's worked and it doesn't work for them. I have people come to me, someone said... Who's someone? I'd like to meet this person called someone. Someone said that I should give the baby this. No, you don't listen to someone.
3: <laughs> or or that um, I remember I didn't know that there were rules about how, like what solids you meant to give. So we just gave, I could, like, gave the twins food. And I remember someone said, you didn't do this first. And I was like, I've broken them. No. I've broken the twins. <laughs> They're not going to eat. And because and, I did it in the wrong order. Well, and th- I- <laughs> there's
2: no rules. There's like... And, and also about about food, which we'll just top, touch on quickly. Um, again, everything is a guideline. It's not a rule. It's a guideline. And guidelines are things that you can take. Some, some children can eat a bowl full of vegetables, you know, after week three and they're fine. Other children cannot take thickened food and they have to have puree for a little while. It's just who they are. It doesn't mean it matter if you start off with with thick food, they gag. it's just it's just who they are. And I've done this long enough to know that in the real world, there's the fantasy and there's reality. The fantasy is that, you know, we can give the baby a piece of broccoli and then they're going to chew on it and swallow and and, and eat, eat hard foods for the rest of their life. That's fantasy. Reality is not all babies do that. So we've got to work with our baby. So if your baby eats broccoli, uh, soft broccoli and manages, and your baby can't, can only have um non-organic non- <laughs> non-gluten <laughs> um gluten-free um you know stewed apples but that's okay because what i know at in at prep they will eat they will they will talk they will be toilet trained they will talk they will they will sleep. obey they'll sleep and it it's not going to happen in the first year. Like, Let me give you the hint. It's just not going to happen. It takes time. Everything takes time. And toilet training, you've got to wait. wait don't hurry them. Don't bribe them on the toilet with a piece of chocolate. Jeez. <laughs> raci- I haven't heard about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's been fascinating. We've heard lots of insights today about life after babies. It's been very honest conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to... I was going to say what you were asking about going back to work. Yeah. I think it's, a,
3: it's another breast versus bottle fight over it, who's a better mum for staying home longer or for going back to work. And it's so individual. And it's, the, it's... But you don't have to... You don't even have... I went back to work and
2: breastfed morning and night.
3: But also just like the, it's, you know, some, some people need to go back to work earlier. Some yeah. people want to go back to work earlier. And I don't think we're supported... As women, I I think there's that notion of oh, why do you want to be away from your baby?
1: The judgment, yeah, Mm.
3: and and I think I think there needs to be support both ways. Yes, and
2: some of the best people in the workplace are mothers part-time who work part time. They parent well, they work well. They just they, they want to work because they love going to work. They want to go home because they love parenting and I it's they
3: love just having it. coffee on their <laughs> own and going to the toilet <laughs> the on their own things. at work.
1: Going to the toilet on your own is bliss, brook. I, I can imagine I, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> can I say though, like there was this theory when I was you know growing up and certainly during young adulthood it was kind of like you girls you can do anything. Like go you can do everything and anything and so when you Become mothers, and as you aptly explained and shared, there are all all that stuff is happening, and there's all those pressures. Is there that kind of? Do you think some of us suffer from that um, idea that I can do everything, therefore I must do everything. I must have the baby, and I, I must yes. be a great mother, and I must go back to work, and and I could do it the best, and and yeah. I must have an absolute bloody breakdown and obviously. all at once, all at once. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. mean, I mean that's completely unreasonable, isn't it? I mean, for some people, if it works, great, but. Is it I think it is unreasonable yeah yeah I
0: think so you're being I,
1: honest I, could, I think
0: um, I think you know we're women we're multifaceted we have lots of different interests and passions and um, we want to pursue those but um, yeah I, I don't see why we should pressure ourselves to that extent that we're on the verge of of breakdown. breakdown and
3: also it's a tango like you're dancing with a baby like the baby might be the type of baby that lets that that, that lets mm. you sleep and lets you be more, a more functional member of society or yeah. it might be a baby that really needs you and your boobs and, yeah. and your presence, and, and all babies are different, even with yeah, four children. Yeah, you've and got you just don't four know four different children. Yep, you just don't know until until, yeah. until they come out and let you know. And, yeah, and if you're in a privileged position where you can you know, have agency about at what point you do go back or what point you juggle all the balls you can. But there's, I mean, the good thing about having babies is they get bigger and bigger and bigger and you yeah. realise that you get more and more time and you can do more and more. And it takes about 20 20- four years. Yeah. (laughs) Great.
1: Everyone's fallen off their couch. It's been fantastic. Um, Kath, Sarah, Virginia, thanks so much for your insights about uh, life after having babies. From, what was it? Lactating luscious ladies to life after babies, you know. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Midwife Kath. Thanks, ladies.
0: This has been Birth, Baby and Beyond with midwife Kath Curtin. Birth, Baby and Beyond is recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne, Australia. Executive producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and music by Matt Nicolich. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. A Podcast One production.